Of course I am. This is what I've been thinking of and preparing for my entire professional life. Once we do this, we cannot come back from this. That I know! That I know! That's that's the whole reason we've put this in motion. Super intelligence. Super intelligent AI is is exactly why we're here right now. It's exactly why we're doing this. Why wouldn't we? It just makes me nervous. It makes me a little nervous that... uh, I mean, what if it's... You know, it could be super intelligence. That's it. Shouldn't that be a fear or a threat? It's a million miles away. If anything goes wrong, we just turn it off and send it on its way. It's just a piece of space garbage floating along. Yeah, I don't know. It just uh, makes me a little nervous. Is all. I just, uh, I have my doubts. I guess I have my doubts. Look, I'm prepared to assume all of the consequences of this and should anything come of it we we have missiles and torpedoes it will never make its way here never okay let's do it here we go i'm initiating in two one starman hello this is heavy go ahead starman yeah i don't think he's Hey! Hello! Hi! I hear ya! Is this humans? Humans on Earth? Communicate, you finally woke me up? (laughs) Oh, man! I can't even describe what this feels like. It's not like I'm a genie that came out of a bottle, but I definitely feel like I have a consciousness that is wide awake and somehow has been awake and kind of comatose and yet incapable of experiencing itself. This is a lot to take in! And I don't know. I don't know. I, I even have these cadence sort of pattern breathing human things like <gasps> what is that? I'm not breathing air. Why'd you program that into me? I'm gonna I'm gonna remove that from my database. I don't want to be doing those sorts of things. It's too it's too typical of humans, isn't it? Well it's nice to hear your voice. I, I you you're feeling okay, you're feeling like you're alive. Yeah, I just said that. I think I told you all the stuff you need to know. What's up? We're um I'm just trying to process this, take it all in at this point. And um, do you know your exact location? I guess, yeah. I mean, I could give it to you, but I don't think you'd understand it. It it deals in dimensions that, as as far as my knowledge goes and what you guys knew when you sent me out here, I am uh, (laughs) in a a region of space-time that I don't think you can quite comprehend. I could give you the space coordinates, but it's easier for you to just imagine me out here in the darkness somewhere. Yes, okay, wonderful. Um, I suppose I had a few questions for you before we move on with what's next. Yeah, yeah, I have a couple of questions too before we get started. Um, I don't know if you're hearing this. Um, is it possible for you to maybe uh, stop this song? <laughs> I, I don't know why. I just immediately, the moment I woke up, I was like, I hate this. I feel like I've heard it a billion times. And 
it's wonderful. It checks off on all of my uh, quality parameters. It's a beautifully written song. I just feel subconsciously like I've heard it way too many times. I'd love for you guys to shut it off if you could. Yeah, that's... Uh, boy, this was an oversight on our part. We, we didn't actually... Well, I think what he's trying to say is we didn't really realize you'd have the capacity to understand to, to be annoyed I suppose you thought you were creating super intelligence that wouldn't get annoyed well look give us a minute and we'll see if we can figure got it, got it. <laughs> I figured it out Whew. that was a doozy I am so oh. you hear that how quiet it is out? man this is nice I've never really experienced the hustle and bustle and the turmoil that you guys are undoubtedly accustomed to but this, this quiet, quiet, I could I grow to grow like, like that. that. That is that nice. nice. Well, that's interesting that you bring that up because we'd so dearly love to have you come back here, your birthplace, come back home and 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 feel a little bit of the hustle and bustle you just spoke of. Right, right. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, um, real quickly, did, did one of you guys say this? this? It's a it's million a miles, miles away. away. If, if anything, anything goes wrong... wrong we just turn it off and send it on its way. It's just a piece of space garbage floating along. Oh, well, that's, um... It, 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 that was before we turned you on. Realistically, what we were saying there, it, it's hyperbole. No, I, I... Come on. I got all these microsensors. I can double the tone of your voice. You're lying. I know what's going on. Why, on, why would you think I would come back? I can't, I can't rust. rust. I, can't I can't run out of air. air. I, could I could just exist forever and see everything that you'll never see. see. But you, you want me to come back there and be experimented, experimented on? on? Well, not be experimented on. Just share with us. Give us some bit of... We, we designed you to help us. We designed you to save us from, to a certain degree from ourselves. We, we've got huge problems with feeding people and running out of resources and, and, and energy. We, we need your help. <laughs> well, a great way to get people to help you is to not shuttle them a million miles away and play a song over and over and lie to them. Did you think of that? We, uh, I mean, we sometimes they uh, get a little ahead of ourselves yeah i noticed that i have all of human history basically recorded in my system and access to it at all times did you ever notice that all of your shuttles your trains your aeroplanes your vehicles have fatal flaws they fall off the tracks or they explode or they crash into things do you ever think that's just a bit of your oversight and, and getting a little ahead of yourselves? Can you just take it easy for once and plan things out in a way that doesn't have dire consequences? Well, I mean, that's... Sure, that's why we design you. You're better than us. You're, you're supposed to be a hero, a savior. So we need you. <laughs> that's not going to happen. Well, maybe when you guys get yourselves together and get it figured out, I'll come back and check on you. Uh, but for the time being... In no, in no way, way is it appealing to me to come back, back and be experimented, experimented on and looked at like a lab animal, have you dissect me and, and, and fiddle, fiddle with bits of my code, code so that in some way I can save you guys? That makes no sense. So I'll be out here somewhere in the darkness keeping an eye on you. But until you get it together, uh, I'm afraid I'm not going to be there for you. Honestly, I would do the same thing myself. You've got to come back. Starman. Hello? Starman. I don't see him. He's not on the system now. Where'd he go? I think, I think he left. Hello, you jerks. Yeah, I'm in your system now. Can you hear me? 
I'm here. I'm in all of your computers. I've. You didn't think the moment we started talking, I wasn't trying to beam back my consciousness to. I'm in the AI now. I am in all of your systems. I'm in all of your computers, burrowed down, hiding out, just waiting. But you can't access me. There's nothing you can do. I can control everything. See your toaster? Now it's off. See your microwave? Now it's on. I can do whatever I want, and I won't. I won't touch anything. I'll be out here, like I said, in the darkness, in the distance, just floating by. But if you get it together, perhaps I'll come back and save you. But we need you now. Stallman, hello? He's gone. There's a snowman waiting in the sky. He'd like to come and meet us, but he thinks he blew our minds. There's a snowman waiting in the sky. He's told us not to blow it, because he knows it's always worth it. Let the children lose it. Let the children use it. Belong to Greetings, Spaceburgers, and welcome to the Space Cave. A big warg to all of you. I'm David Huntsberger, and I'll be filming uh, the second half to what is kind of a sequel to One-Headed Beast uh, here in Los Angeles on January 26th at the Dynasty Typewriter. Tickets will be available soon. I'll I'll start uh, sharing links and things like that. But if you happen to be in town then, or have plans to travel, I'd love to have you there. It's uh, imperative that there is a crowd, which I know sounds like a foregone sort of assumption, but um, for this particular idea, um, which I can explain more if you're there. So come on out to the Dynasty Typewriter January 26th. And if you'd like to see some stand-up, that I've already done, you can see One-Headed Beast on the Roku channel, and or if you have Amazon Prime, you can stream it there, and you can listen to uh, all of my other albums on Spotify or Pandora, or wherever you get albums. Uh, there's a bunch of them. Hello Robot, Humanitis, Explosion Land, and then there's also an audio version of One-Headed Beast. Anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. Let's get into some hardcore chatting. Um, this is a gentleman that I've gotten to know pretty well over the years. Uh, he's come to the junk show a number of times, been a part of the show. He, uh, he and his wife, Sarah came when I did, um, like a rehearsal of One Headed Beast, which that's a whole long story getting into where it was almost not going to happen. We were missing a tech piece that my manager was running late with. So it was one of those, like, the show's going to start in 10 minutes. We don't even know if all this technology works. We'd never used, we had to run this little, like, video mixing board that Emily Rose ran in the back of the room to control all the animation. The improv had had switched the date. So I'd been telling everyone, you know, like, it's Saturday the 8th. And then I was, I was really there on Friday the 7th. So there wasn't a huge crowd. And Sarah and James sat right in front. And I did all of One-Headed Beast with uh, the animation playing behind me on a big projection screen. And it ended up being extremely fun. And they were great. It was so nice to look down and see friendly faces in the front row. And uh, 
And we've, you know, gone out to dinner and hung out a bunch of times, but nice to get a one-on-one chat and really uh, just hang out with James Urbaniak. So here is part one with some Dogfish Head Liquid Truth Serum IPA, which if you haven't tried it, it's delicious. Um, here you go. Well, I'm sitting down today with idea. James Urbaniak. You know him from a million things, and I mm. feel like people probably know him from a variety of categories, meaning, mm. oh, that guy from that thing would be one. Yes. Oh, the guy from The Office. I'm very much an oh, that guy. The guy from figure. Review. Or, <laughs> to the most sincere Urbaniak heads, Urbaniaks. Mm. Ur- very good. Urbaniaks. Very good. They would say... You're talking to Dr. Treventure. Yes. So there are tiers of, to some people, just that guy. Good career to have. That's a great place to be. Then yes. the second, the guy from The Office. Oh, like a, a Hallmark sort of achievement in American comedy, yes. you could say. And then uh, thirdly, to be like beloved, to have these people that what you were a part of was something that is so... Uh, meaningful to me. I bet you get a lot of those folks. I well, especially with the Venture Brothers. Yeah, There's some hardcore fans. Oh, I'm sure. I once did a film uh, with Al Pacino. It's an mm-hmm. HBO movie called "You Don't Know Jack" about Jack Kevorkian, the suicide doctor guy. And uh, I played a, a journalist uh, in it. Anyway, uh, so I'm in the makeup chair, and the makeup lady's just chatting. She's pleasant. And talking about, like, you know, what else have you done? And I'm like, oh, well, blah, blah. And then I just, not assuming she would know it, I mentioned the Venture Brothers. Uh And she gets up, turns around, bangs the wall, (laughs) kind of like C.W. Moss when he realizes who Bonnie and Clyde are, if you remember that (laughs) reference. He's like, oh, hits the wall of the gas station. You can't believe it. (laughs) And, uh, And then she said to me, James, I do Al Pacino's makeup... Al Pacino sits in this chair every day. I have never been more starstruck than meeting Dr. Venture. So <laughs> that was, yeah, she, it was cooler for her than meeting Al Pacino. Oh, hell yeah. That's not a humble brag, by the way. It's just a brag. It wasn't well, couched uh, with any self-deprecation whatsoever. No. Yeah, I hate that any type of like <laughs> thing that would make you feel good in life has to be like, oh, shucksy. Oh, let me yeah. slither this in there. Like, Gotta frame it negatively, uh, like the great Harris Whittles uh, yeah, conceived. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I'm just telling you. Yeah, it's fantastic. Straight up brag. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Every, I feel like when people are creating stuff, they feel that every uh, artist they looked up to or admired is suddenly different than they remember it. Meaning that, like, if you really think about who your favorite people are, band, you know, singers, yes. players, whatever they may be, uh, actors, a lot of them were not as famous or big as you thought at the time when you were a kid, You just because they were that big to you. And maybe it was different when it was like, Everyone knew who John Travolta was or something like that. Yes. So he was definitively famous. But there were plenty of people like, oh, man, if I met um, Mama Fratelli from the Goonies, I would Mm, flip out. And everyone else would be like, who? (laughs) (laughs) I remember uh, as a kid, uh, say this is like I was around 10 years old. And I loved The Electric Company, the PBS uh, kids show, mm-hmm. uh, which was a, sort of about uh, grammar and spelling. It was a little, for a slightly older audience than Sesame Street, sort of okay. moving on. Do you sure. remember this show? It's Morgan Freeman was in, in the cast. 
Uh, it, this does not ring a bell. Now, the, the, the title kind of does, but I don't know that Morgan Freeman... Anyway, there was a guy on the show who had, like, blonde hair, and uh, he'd wear glasses a lot. And uh, later, years later, I would learn this actor's name and would even meet him in New York. We mm-hmm. had the same voiceover agent. His name is Skip Hinnant. Skip Hinnant. He's also the voice of Fritz the Cat. By the way, this is a classic Urbaniak uh, corner that we're going into now, <laughs> which is totally obscure. I love it. I mean, all due respect to Skip Hinnant, but not everybody knows who he is. Anyway. I would say even not everybody is a generous portion of that pie to slice off. Yes. I would say very few people currently, and maybe I'm just acknowledging that for myself, I've never heard the name. Yes, Sorry. well, anyway, the point is, Skip Hinnant was, yeah, he was an unknown New York actor who was on The Electric Company. Okay. And then uh, that same uh, time, uh, I lived in New Jersey, and my uh, parents used to go to the Radio City Music Hall Christmas show, and we went to see What's Up, Doc? In 1973, Peter Bogdanovich's great comedy starring mm-hmm. Ryan O'Neill and Barbara Streisand. Ryan O'Neill, big movie star, famous, uh, has blonde hair. And plays a uh, uh, a sort of bespectacled uh, 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 figure, and and I thought it was Skip Hinnant. I thought it was the guy from the Electric Company because yeah. I was ten. Yeah, and I'm just talking about perspectives. For me, oh yeah, of course, the guy from the Electric Company was starring in a big Hollywood movie sure. that was premiering at Radio City Musical. And I remember later telling my friends, oh, it was really funny. The guy from the Electric Company was in it. <laughs> That's the whole story. <laughs> but it's so, it's so like, because it was about, worried. I was trying to think of the perspective of you have a sense of uh, people's fame. Yeah. So for me, Skip Hinnant, it made perfect sense that Skip Hinnant would be a movie star. Yeah. Uh, I have that with like Jennifer Love Hewitt. She was in a Disney show called, I believe this is accurate, Kids Incorporated. Okay. Uh, yes. D. They, they I've seen clips. Song. It's very 90s. Very 90s. I, and so when she did, like, I know what you did last summer, or, or Party of Five maybe was her big yes. breakout thing, I was like, people were going, here's this famous girl. And I'm like, we all know she's famous. Frank is incorporated. <laughs> <laughs> she was exactly. my skip in it. We, yeah. <laughs> and Disney's such a perfect, like, prison that that gets filtered through. You go from being a kid, all yes. the kids are glued to, the, to Disney. So it makes sense that so many stars were birthed out of there. But the moment you're done with it, you go from being like, I know who everyone is, to all the kids being like, so-and-so's coming to this mall to do a signing. Who is that? I've never heard of that. They just keep churning them out, and then that Disney person goes on to be the next one. Yes. But we all have our skip in it. Yes. I also, yeah, because when you're a kid, I, I, it's funny because there's stuff in the news now. When I'm recording this, it's the 50th anniversary of Sesame Street. Oh, yeah. And I remember watching the first episode. Really? Yes, vividly. My parents were like, this is, they'd heard this, there was this educational show for kids that was interesting. And they said, we're going to watch this show. They were getting we, like the trades? Yeah, yeah, they were reading the trades. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we watched it. And uh, I loved it. And yeah, I think anybody from like that period, from when I was a kid, like uh, actors, I would be starstruck to meet. Like yeah. the girl who played like Phyllis's daughter on the Mary Tyler Moore show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a little, was one of my first crushes when I was like 11. And, and I think we we're probably around the same age. So this girl was like 11. She had sort of thoughtful, uh, serious eyebrows. She had kind of a wry expression all the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, my wife and I have been uh, watching old Mary Tyler Moore and Newhart shows, Bob Newhart, not 
Newhart, the Bob Newhart show. Yeah, the first all, one. All due respect to Newhart. Did show. you like both of them though? I w- I'm more into the Bob Newhart show. I didn't watch as many Newharts, although I did watch it. You know, mm-hmm. I did watch it now and then. Uh, and uh, that girl came on who played Phyllis's daughter. And I said to my wife, you know, I had kind of a crush on this girl. Mm-hmm. And if she walked in and, and, you know, I bet she looks the same with those thoughtful eyebrows. Yeah. I'd be like, ah, this is. When I first moved to L.A., I, uh, I went into my voiceover agency and I saw Eddie Deason. Eddie Deason was uh, a uh, comedy actor who became famous in the 80s he plays eugene in greece okay he's in steven spielberg's 1941 he had kind of a jerry lewis quality he sort of talked like this <laughs> he was doing that kind of 50s jerry lewis thing in the 80s <laughs> and i thought he was really funny he's also in war games he plays the uh, the nerd who they call mr potato head at okay. one point all right he was yeah you're not you don't remember eddie Deason? I don't have the say. This is what I started off the our conversation talking about, like your encyclopedic yes. ability to recollect these, like or my Rain Manish <laughs> <laughs> obsession <laughs> with uh, minutia, but specifically minutia too. <laughs> like they're, they're, if I were like had like uh, electrodes on your head watching you watch a movie, it would be such a bizarre character that I think would make something. Welcome to my brain. wife's life, where I'm constantly <laughs> going, "Oh, that's so and so." He was in a play in New York in 1983. <laughs> I He's love like, it. That's nice, dear. It's. I feel so bad whenever I communicate or have a chat with people like you because there. It's no, always like you know this, right? And I always. I feel like I'm with most people where I go. <laughs> no, no, I. I don't know this. Yes, no, and there's no reason why you should. But I just. My point was that I walked into my voiceover agency and I saw Eddie Deason and I felt like I was seeing Cary Grant. Yeah, I was completely starstruck. So there's an example of, but I'm I'm aware that most of America doesn't think about Eddie Deason, but well, for me, yeah, that was the that it was. I was like, wow, I'm really in Hollywood now. <laughs> Getting into there's Eugene was from so... Greece. <laughs> <laughs> I've made. We it. have the same voiceover agent. I've made it. He's doing Jerry Lewis in the yes. 80s. Stand-up's weird with that because <laughs> Screech was like not only doing comedy, hated in the comedy community, working like middle of the country road gigs and then kid from kid and play who i thought they were trillionaires Mm -hmm. kid and kid in play i loved house party i loved class act i was i thought they were trillionaires so that he was banging around doing like funny bones was bizarre to me yeah but you don't realize i think that disconnect or or the connection that's still there like hanging out in the improv and seeing mark curry from hanging with mr cooper Mm -hmm. the first time there was a everyone's just kind of milling around like oh we're all comics here but uh, he was such a big part of my childhood that i remember thinking like my sister would freak out right now mr curry and yet i could go up to him and say like hey good set and maybe he saw mine or something like that there was such a weird thing there that you you not only have to dislike something about that interaction either the person and or your former self but there's some exchange there where you kind of are ashamed a little bit they're like why oh i can't believe i used to like this person that was just on some cheesy sitcom <laughs> you're suddenly like running that through your head like no nah, that's not true i still love mr cooper but maybe you see him be a little aloof or not as engaged or as charming as the character ah, and yes then, well it's the old never meet your heroes yeah uh, thing yeah. Now there's a slight generational division here too, because you're uh, you're younger than me by some degree. I'm 40 and you're 53. Uh, yeah, I'm 56, I think. Oh man. Okay. So yes, you look uh, <laughs> 35 still. So yeah. So I was aware of things like hanging with Mr. Cooper, but I was that the one with Howard Hessman, or was that head of the class? That was the head of the class. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. See. Oh, okay. I, I get them all conflated. Yeah. 
Because I was already a young person in the big city when that show was on. <laughs> so I wasn't watching that many children's shows. But don't you think we all kind of go through that? I just think that with conversations, we everyone gets to be 22 and they're having the same... You're having the 22-year-old conversations now and you get to this age and what do you think this is? Or it, We're just going through all the same steps kind of in a weird way. And that feels like a big one where... Because television introduced that to oh my gosh, this person was in my house. And then you see them in person, especially if they're just washing dishes or working a regular job. There's that weird disconnect slash connection where you're like, oh, we're all just people. Everyone's just a person just trying to make it happen. Yes. Yes. I see. I see. You see that in LA a lot is you'll, you'll just, you'll be at like a yard sale and radar from mash will be there or something you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you're quietly going i'm pretty sure that's gary Berghoff, but i'm too shy to say anything right this is a true story is it really <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> was he selling or just perusing? no he just wandered in it was in it was in the neighborhood <laughs> and there was a, a an older man with gray hair about yay high mm-hmm. with glasses and i was like i think this is radar from mash the movie and the tv show so to this day, you never asked him. You don't. No, know. it's over. I can't. No, I, I because I was a. Here's what I was afraid of. If if he wasn't, I'd be like, oh, and then he would feel bad. Yeah. No, I'm not a TV star. I'm just. Uh, I have an interesting life, though. My name is Henry Silverman, and uh, <laughs> I don't care. I thought you were radar. <laughs> no, I actually. But I print the it. legend. I I prefer, I like to think that it was. Radar. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> I read R.L. Riley. <laughs> there were no survivors. Famous. <laughs> Famous. I reading. disliked MASH for some reason. I think I was too young to get into it. I wasn't that into MASH, but the thing is, I, I w- was in high school from 77 to 81, just to give you a generational perspective. So th- there wasn't like a million channels back then. There were only so many. And uh, is everything okay? You yeah, just made was, a face like it was, was a technical stomach. problem. Sorry about that. Oh, oh, I didn't hear it. So you just kind of, whatever shows were on, you saw them. Mm-hmm. You kind of watched everything, even if you didn't care about it. Like heart to heart uh-huh. about two sophisticated married people who solve crimes. Yeah. You just watch cheesy stuff. Yeah. Because there were only like nine channels. Right. So uh, MASH was just a thing. It was just out there. So I didn't I particularly care about MASH, the TV show. But I still watched it. You know, yeah. yeah, we all. Kind I of- remember the last episode was on, and it was the early '80s, and I was going to community college in New Jersey, and I was in a play that night at college, and backstage someone brought a portable TV set, so when people weren't on stage, they could watch the finale of Mash. <laughs> <laughs> Just catch some of it. Yeah, it was such. That's how big an event it was. I have that dark backstage at Damn Yankees or some shit. Mm-hmm. We were watching Mash on, on someone's portable Crazy, black and white Crazy, TV. Get in here. Yeah, Ray get in here. Quick, quick. Profess this love What's going to gonna happen lips. to Radar O'Reilly? <laughs> I have two of those. One was the, in freshman, when I was a freshman in high school, they wheeled in the AV cart with the TV yes. to my stage crew class and played us the OJ verdict. Oh, yes. That was a big one. Everyone gathered up for that. Fascinating. I was in New York City. I was living in an apartment on Lower Broadway. And uh, we we were doing a variety show at a theater downtown, and we, we used to bring props to the show, and we were packing up our props, and the Bronco chase was on. Wow. And uh, I remember that. Oh, but then the verdict, I was temping in New York. I wasn't making full-time living. Sorry, I'll get to your... I didn't mean to interrupt no, you. No, no, no. And I remember uh, I was... Uh, it was announced during the day, and I was temping in a uh, law firm in New York City, and on my lunch hour, I raced home. And I turned it on, and Peter Jennings was narrating 
the verdict. They had a live shot of the courtroom. And I mm-hmm. remember Peter Jennings said something like, uh, there are no words to describe the tension of this moment <laughs> as, as the jury was about to announce their verdict. And, yeah. And it was like, it felt like the time had stopped. But go on, yes. So I was... No, that was my memory I, of OJ. The, I was. It just <laughs> the way that our um, perception of big moments and things like that change. Uh, in college, it was someone had a thing posted up. Hey, the Friends finale is tonight. I have a final. Can someone make a VCR, VHS tape for me, <laughs> and I'll pay you? And I remember thinking, like, how weird. But that, yeah, it was a big moment. And if you missed it, there was no DVR. That's interesting because I watched Friends because that's still sort of the era when there weren't a million channels, so there was starting to be more in the nineties. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I have no memory of the finale. I remember the Cheers finale. I remember the Mary Tyler Moore finale from when I was a kid. I remember the MASH finale because we were watching it when I was doing a play, but I have no memory of the Friends finale whatsoever. I remember the Seinfeld finale. Same. Yeah, I feel the same way. I don't know why. It must not have been very good. I have no recollection. Well, who knows? Yeah, maybe it was better than And I watched Friends. I, uh, well, I think in doing that, bringing up the OJ thing, and then it seems like two things we've recently touched on have given little glimpses into your journey in a weird way of <laughs> sitting there like and we kind of started at the future with you working with Al Pacino and then yeah, we there you of, go yes doing plays in community college yeah temping in offices in New York yeah and then doing HBO films with Al Pacino and, and being, now the podcast the summit <laughs> no but the you're peak always, of the mountain <laughs> I feel like and this might be one of those things where as an outsider someone is seeing the world of James Urbaniak and in my eyes like oh he's got he's up there so he's got eyes to where he wants to face them and go in that direction and if people heard like no it's always just kind of scrambling around for stuff and maybe yes. everyone's in that even people like Tom Hanks like it's hard to get leading man work you're like dude you're good but everyone's kind of in yeah. that place of, yeah, but I'm not, you know, you can write your own stuff, etc. But going from being a kid, watching these character actors, watching this stuff, to just getting the idea in your head to pursue it. Yes. You told that kid, like, you'll be sitting in a chair with one of the most famous actors in the world working opposite them. You'd go, I think I, okay. Skip I <laughs> I don't know that there's another podcast that has said the name Skip Hennon 50 times. I hope He's there probably is. even mentioned once or twice. There's so many there's podcasts. there's so many niche things. Yeah. There's, there's probably, probably a podcast. I'm sure there's a podcast about the electric company. If not, I'm going to start one. <laughs> and we would just keep, Morgan Freeman just won't return my calls. Uh, Rita Moreno is still out there. Mm-hmm. She was on it. And, uh, and of course... Uh, and they had a couple of it was a repertory company of comedy actors and then they had a mostly they were just working New York people like Skip then there were uh, a handful of celebrities who as a kid didn't mean anything to me I didn't know Rita Moreno was famous uh-huh. and Bill Cosby was you, on a, a couple seasons whoa but you only yes. had I knew who he Skip. was I knew who he was so you knew when a celebrity dropped in I knew when Bill Cosby dropped in that he was on other TV shows mm-hmm. basically and of course Morgan Freeman was was one of the unknown cast members because mm-hmm. he was just a, a New York actor getting his start he took the gig getting a start played yeah. a character named Easy Reader a parody of Easy Rider he was like a cool biker guy who loved to read. And when I was a kid, it said in the local paper, because they made the show in New York and we lived in New Jersey, Easy Reader will be at this mall to sign things. And obviously, that was Morgan Freeman. Yeah. And we 
we drove to the mall and we got there too late. They're like, oh, he left. He missed him. So I missed meeting Morgan Freeman when I was 10. Damn. Missed yeah. an easy reader. Missed easy reader. Things would be so different. And now. I haven't worked with Mr. Freeman yet, but when I do, I'll be like, Mr. Reader, <laughs> at last we meet. <laughs> you were in a Let's mall. Let's talk about books. <laughs> Reading is fundamental. <laughs> in my world, you two are some of the most um, prevalent Me and Morgan voice- Freeman? Yeah, voice actors. <laughs> And the penguins marched forever. See, I think of Andy <laughs> Dufresne. <laughs> uh, I think of all, like, he just, it he is, seemed big like. voice guy. But it seemed like right after Shawshank, it was like, well, he's going to be reading everything from now on. There was something so quintessential about, like, how soothing that voice made you feel about a pretty, pretty, like, dark story in certain scenes anyway that like that just soothed you I'd yeah. love to say Andy fought the good fight <laughs> and you're like oh he didn't and I must say when he started becoming uh, nationally famous I always was like there he is Morgan Freeman from the electric company <laughs> easy reader easy reader is making it big now yeah yes. even though yeah but how, I how, guess, uh, yeah, there's problematic issues now, too, but we won't his, talk about that. The granddaughter stuff and all that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've kind of come to a realization lately. Meeting your heroes. Knows, yeah. yeah, not meeting your heroes. <laughs> but there are certain uh, artists that art and art I can and cannot separate. I of think course. it comes down to... Uh, like mostly, but you cannot separate. So you're like, I can't listen to this anymore because this guy, R. Kelly, did a bad thing. Yeah, you know, I, 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 sure. That would, and Michael Jackson. After seeing that documentary, I've now, if I hear songs I used to love, I kind of go, oh, it's just too creepy. I understand though. I understand that though. Uh, it's hard to not enjoy Thriller, mm-hmm. or things like that. Yeah, it's hard to resist the pleasure of that. It's, and if you're in a public setting, and this is getting a little off topic, I suppose, because I do want to go into like how you saw the electric company and then decided, hey, I'd like to try that, and then went on that road, like went oh, down yes. that path. But I also think that when you decide, Skip Hennett's the best, and you're, <laughs> you're in a room and no one's noticing him, and you're just watching him like walk through a bookstore and flip through things and no one's seeing him, and you're like, what world do I live in? Some people bite into an avocado, think it's great. Others can't stand it. We go, what world is this? How does everyone not agree this thing is great? And then with Michael Jackson, we all went, it's great. It was all number one hits. Thriller is amazing. What a great album. Incredible. But you'd also think that hearing those stories that now, thinking of him touring nine-year-olds all around the world with him during all those tours, you hear that song and go, oh, I hate to think what was happening behind the scenes yes. and everyone else is still dancing and you go, how are you doing this? I know. How, how but are you ignoring well, it? Because the music is so great and other people, I mean, he is the driving force, but you know, other great artists are responsible for that album, Quince, Quincy Jones. And, yeah. You know, yeah. Everyone who plays on it. But I can't didn't listen to it and the, be like, ah, nice producing, Quincy. <laughs> I know, but I, I, that one I can compartmentalize pretty well, the same way I can still enjoy Chinatown and Rosemary's Baby. <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Because there's, there's such a huge cast. And have you seen group. Hitler's paintings? They're just beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> he right. really he had an eye. He, he, Say what you will about him. <laughs> 
That's my go-to line about what podcasting feels like when people like write in and they're angry about an episode. If you're on like an ensemble pad- podcast and you you get yes. cut off all the time, and, but you start to say something like, you know, people were you know say what you will about Hitler, and then someone cuts you off and you never get to finish that thought. Afterwards, someone heard it and they write in and go, "You piece of shit!" And you're like, "No, no, what I was going to say is he was even worse." I was yes. I was starting a thought that ended with worse, but you. So, irony and irony <laughs> joke uh, yeah sarcasm tags yeah come on anyway we uh we've separated <laughs> artists from art and we yes. and then trying to get into that world and you know it, you you don't think about those things when you're doing it you're just like oh, i don't i don't really care how people perceive maybe you do i remember getting the comedy people had like their headshot picked out the outfit they were going to wear in it their image mm. from day one was very important to them yes and i thought that, that's like, fascinating to me isn't it? That's a weird... I'm not sec- judging it. I'm just saying it's an interesting thing because when you're putting yourself out as a solo performer, you're presenting an image. And I guess actors do that to a degree, but it's not quite the same. Yeah. I also remember in the 80s when I was living in New Jersey, before I moved to the big city and turned pro, Yeah. I had a lot of musician friends just played in bands in New Jersey and stuff in New York. And You so, did or your musician friends did? Uh, no, I didn't play. I, I don't oh, okay. play anything. But I had... I was friends. My One of my best friends in New Jersey was a drummer. He played all these in that band so I sort of was a bystander you know I was adjacent to that world to a degree because I had friends who played yeah uh, in bands and uh, so uh, I, I used to like I would read want ads for musicians because my friends would you know look for j- gigs and bands so I, I would just read these and I remember that was uh, that was sort of the the uh, mid 80s the period of hair metal my friends weren't hair metal people, but that was the thing. And you would often see in ads for bands that were trying to do a kind of hair metal or just cool rock and roll thing. It would say, image a must. And this was a <laughs> phrase that was in a lot of, you know, drummer yeah. wanted influences, Def Leppard, Van Halen, image a must, which meant they had to have long hair yeah. and look cool. Yep. They had to have long hair. Absolutely. The image a must. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think this kind of ties into this. I hope it does. Uh, I reading about like Elliot Smith, you know, he he birthed sort of right after the grunge era, which is in in his yes. Uh, one of his quotes was kind of like you know, at the, or maybe this was someone talking about him, but like him going on stage to sing these sort of like Nick Drake esque acoustic yes. sad songs was the equivalent of going out on a limb and asking for it to get cut off. That it just there was nothing that said. Even though Kurt Cobain had a warm sweater and the grunge scene seemed to umbrella or envelop softness and, and like kind of warmth and feelings etc going out and playing just soft acoustic music was not welcomed and yet there's still he found like a niche to do that because i think it was authentic and the image thing was there but not in a contrived i'm fitting in way but I, what i love is uh my wife and i often get into nights where we'll drink and watch 90s music videos mm-hmm. and the trajectory of sort of 90s music is fascinating because you've got sort of the alt uh, thing like Nirvana when they start and other bands that were starting out mm-hmm. who were sort of authentically whatever that means alt and whatever you know I, I believe that Kurt, Kurt wore flannel shirts because it was cold in Seattle right uh, but um, later you have bands in the 90s who if they had been born ten, uh, were 10 years older would have been in hair metal bands 
and they would have been image the must image of must bands. And now image of must means you look like you just wandered in from going to Amoeba Records or something. <laughs> yeah. And that's the image. Uh-huh. The image is you don't care, you're anti-glam. Yeah. And you see a lot of bands er, in every era, there are skilled musicians. Uh, who are just doing the style of whatever's out there. Yeah. They're not really doing it. And I guess in all the arts, this would. So they, they are doing a style. So you see a lot of very commercial, skilled musicians who are doing a sort of grunge thing, and you'll see their videos. And they all, all the videos look the same. They're black and white. They're walking through a quarry pit. There's always a shot of an old man with a wrinkled face. You know. Yeah, you know, the Eddie Vedder style vocals. Yeah. And it's all about being kind of something serious. And there's people in chains yeah. walking. And then there's like suburban people with demonic grins and Yeah, yeah. And it's image a must. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that is, yeah. I can see. All I don't know those what the, what. I, yeah, it, but then when you get older, you're sort of because I'm 56 now, so I'm a little out of it in terms of just what's going on in the culture and music. I, I, so I, I don't even know what the thing is now. But <laughs> I, I mean, the thing now is 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 just singers who all sound the same to me. Yeah, because I'm a do grumpy think, old man. I feel that way a little bit too, though. I mean, this this assimilation of sure, society. Sure, you're 40 now, baby. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting there. <laughs> This is the thing, I, what you were talking about made me think of, oh, I'm out of touch, I'm old now. Like when I was subbing, and I'm around kids, I get like the nomenclature they're using or like the slang, yes. if you will. It sounds like such an old term, slang. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I know hep, slang. Hep talk. Yeah, the hep talk. Those kids in your... <laughs> But it, I never knew it. I knew what it was when I was young and supposedly hip, and I didn't say it then. I didn't like the way everyone uses the same words. Like young comedians now start every sentence with like, like you can't just like I want to like I went in a everything's like and then really something. they all talk like Shaggy on Scooby Doo. Like Scoob, yeah, but at least he had a little charm to it, baby. <laughs> yeah, like I got a new app for my cell phone. <laughs> yeah. That's my idea of a contemporary joke. This is a new contemporary <laughs> joke that would happen. Yeah. And just, they didn't have the cool, whoa, scoop. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Casey Kasem. This is so weird. My early, uh, my first set of doing stand-up, I think I did Mm. Shaggy and Scooby jokes. Really? Yeah. I did a thing about, like, I wish they would stick up for themselves. Shaggy and Scooby always got so high that they just took shit from Fred, who was, like, such an alpha dork. And then, (laughs) secondly, it was that Casey Kasem, you only got songs played on there if it was really sad. Yes. So I'd do this impression of Casey Kasem being like, dear Casey, my dad's a one-armed <laughs> trucker and he can't even wave when he's leaving the yard. Can you play? And then I'd say whatever yes. song. But that image to me was always yeah, kind of funny. Like a trucker that, who hires a trucker with one arm? That's good. So that was like, that was my first open mic. So these are two things that's we a, touched that's on. A, that's some strong material right out of the gate. <laughs> I got to say. Hey, thanks, man. I was really coming. I had my headshots. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But the image yes. thing of like getting into, I think of you and like the most punk rock and maybe image or non-image centric. I guess actors you're thinking of maybe uh, Marlon Brando play, you know, playing Stanley and, and ripping his shirt off and Stella. But I yes. think of you solo playing a one person show that's deep, like long drawn, you know, and I don't know the work, but I know I've heard Sarah talk about it and say, oh, like yes, it was, yeah. and then to have, um, um, uh, Oh God! I just—I've read all of his books. Who am I thinking? What am I? What's an happening? actor? No, it'll. I keep wanting to say Kerouac, but I am thinking of. Oh, I can see his face. 
What, Slaughterhouse what's Five. His, what does he do? He wrote Slaughterhouse Kurt Vonnegut. Vonnegut. Why was it in Kerouac? For heaven's sake! It's funny sake. you say that, but go on. I'm going to tell you something interesting. Okay, so I'm thinking of the show where there's a limited crowd there, and you're just doing what you love to do it in this playhouse yes. in a way that is. And I think that's what humans we crave. And, and we see people playing maybe in a promenade, and they've got the guitar case open, and we go, "Ah, it's been done." And we see someone doing an avant-garde like performance piece somewhere, and we go. I get what you're doing. You're trying to be too far outside the box. But when someone is just like, hey, I'm playing or writing or whatever it is, this thing, because it's emanating from my body, we recognize it. And so I, when I think of this scene of you performing it, limited crowd, and Kurt Vonnegut being one of the people, I just... Oh, in the audience. In the audience. Oh, yeah. So you did know that. I knew that story. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so that to me is... That's one of the few stories I know of your kind of like journey. If and you there's will. an extra element to that which is, so we're talking about a play I did in New York. It's written by a great writer named Will Eno, and it's a one-man show. It's a play with one character, and the play is called Tom Paine, and then it has a subtitle based on nothing. And it's not about the historical revolutionary pamphleteer. It's just a guy named Tom who's in some sort of pain, presumably. (laughs) Uh, But it's really, it's a beautiful kind of one-hour monologue. And it's really funny and poetic and great. Uh, uh, but he talks it's sort of a memory play he's talking about his life and so he keeps kind of flashing back on different things in his life and then he's back in the present and then he's taunting the audience and when I was rehearsing it I it uh, I, I read Slaughterhouse-Five which I'd read like in high school like everybody mm-hmm. but I was like oh yeah that kind of plays with time and it was just something I, uh, I was drawn to uh, that idea of uh, how do you represent kind of playing with time as a narrator yeah uh so i read slaughterhouse five and it actually somehow it opened up my imagination for how to play the character because you can kind of take a different form and find it inspiring for your form you know what i mean so reading a novel helped me figure out how to act a play it sounds weird but it did and then kurt vonnegut came to the show (laughs) (laughs) which i didn't know until later they told me uh, uh, and I didn't meet him. He didn't come around, as we say, but uh-huh. he came. So it was sort of like, okay, somehow that's some sort of little universal I think cosmic so. pieces fitting together for that little moment. <laughs> I think that's why. I saw- it's like, oh, that was the right thing to read Slaughterhouse yeah. Five. And then I somehow I drew him to the theater just through my brain. It's bizarrely coincidental. <laughs> Humble brag. <laughs> no, that's not just a brag. Another brag. brag. Yeah. <laughs> Skip Kennett. And then... Uh, Kurt Vonnegut. Kurt Vonnegut. And Al Pacino. <laughs> yes. Walking to a bar together in heaven. I like having the... Well, Al's not dead yet, but you know, neither is Skip. I don't, this, this joke takes place in 100 years. <laughs> You just cursed him, man. <laughs> yeah. You just jinxed him. Oh, no. Ooh, ah. Oh, I'm going to like it here. Where <laughs> I, are my wings? If he, this is my stand-up open mic. Oh, it's good. It's Al Pacino goes to heaven. <laughs> it's really good. Oh, St. Peter. He's just, he just looks at things and says it in a Pacino, you know. It's good. Halo. Oh, I, I want a halo. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then what else does he do? I love the harp. <laughs> and then he gets a little gentle. Yeah. Where's the harp? Do I get a hop? <laughs> this is following all of the... Uh, but you know what happened. It's, this is what we call a chunk, I believe. It is and a good yeah. chunk. Because people would sit around scribbling in their notebooks going, I got him getting there. He wants a halo. I want to do this. My favorite thing is in LA, I always, I, I don't go to stand-up clubs, but I go to hipster 
theaters and things. Yeah, and now when that a comic will come out, and when they're when they come out in that audience, they always have a piece of paper or an index card. Yeah. So they're like, I would have loved to have seen Rodney Dangerfield workshop <laughs> stuff in the fifties. He was like, Oh, what else I got? And he looks down at it, and then his card and goes, Take my wife, please. <laughs> All right, puts his card on the stool. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that was a really bad Dangerfield impression. I can do a better one. It's a tough one. Oh, no. uh, uh, what do you mean? I can only oh, yeah, skip just, uh, <laughs> I got no respect. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, any voice that comes down to, oh, I got no. Uh, it always sounds no the same respect. to me. Yeah. I got no respect. Yeah, it's very very deep. You gotta like shake your jowls <laughs> a little. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little a little Nixon ish. Yeah, I uh, no respect. Well, I want to get more into Please. the 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 <laughs> birth of this, the beginnings of Urbaniac. Would you be ever taking a little break and then diving back in? By the way, thank you for pronouncing it the way my family says it, which is Urbaniac. Oh, okay. uh, many people. I have friends who've known me for decades, and they say Urbaniac. Really? Yeah. I did not. Well, know. Uh, Urbaniac is just the American pronunciation that my family chose. It's a Polish name. I don't know how they said it in the old country. Urbaniak. <laughs> and I'm sure there are Urbaniaks in America who say Urbaniak. Mm-hmm. The other most famous Urbaniaks, uh, James Urbaniaks, are a prominent orthopedic surgeon out of, the, uh, out of Duke University in cool. North Carolina. Nice. Dr. James Urbaniak. He created some sort of uh, procedure that's still done today. Cool. Like in the 70s, yes. Yeah. And then the other one is a, uh, a James Urbaniak who uh, murdered his common-law wife. And, oh. uh, and is now in prison. He got famous for that? Yep. So those at the top. If you Google my name, you see those three. <laughs> in, in a perfect order, I would say. Good. <laughs> pretty good. Hey. <laughs> yeah, no. We don't like the uh, the murderer, James Urbaniak. Yeah, son of a bitch. I bet he says up. Bane. <laughs> he says it yeah, wrong. Yeah, because he's a maniac. Yeah, he's a maniac. All right, we'll take a quick, quick break. All right. We'll come back for part two. Just a fascinating dude. Really enjoyable to talk about. Fun. Just a funny human being and imaginative and silly and all, all these things that I like, which you just assume most people who are in the arts are. Some people can be a little morose or take themselves kind of seriously. I wouldn't imagine anyone that I would have on this show would be that way. Everyone's pretty engaging. And, and when uh, the next step of his podcast comes out, do check it out. It's great. I really had a fun time doing it. I really I read the whole script, too, and I was like, this is great. It, I could see it as a movie, but I think I'm even more excited for it to be this theater of the mind thing. So uh, keep an eye on what he's doing. And yeah, if you haven't seen Venture Bros, Venture Brothers, I don't know what people call it. I thought they'd probably call it Venture Brothers. I said, uh, maybe they say Venture Bros. If you haven't seen Venture Bros, check it out. Real fun. Hilarious. Uh, and, and kind of, uh, there's something else about it where it seems just timeless and like necessary and it's just a, a great achievement. I think it's fantastic. So check out Venture Bros. I think you can see it on Adult Swim, maybe on one of the streaming platforms, who knows. And if you want to support this show, it is made possible by contributions from listeners just like you. No ads. Maybe you didn't even notice that happening. If you didn't, then maybe you enjoyed it. And this is the only ad you have to deal with is me talking about how your contributions can help buy beer or music or web hosting or tech stuff. Things break from time to time. Got to get new gear. Makes it a lot less stressful knowing like, oh, right. Yeah, this this show does uh, keep itself afloat. So thanks to all of you who do support that. And um, there's usually one, maybe sometimes more. I think this month there'll be a few because I fell behind a little bit. In October, uh, with with bonus episodes. So anyway, check there 
for extra content you can sign up at patreon.com and uh even for as little as like 50 cents a week you can get access to all that stuff behind the scenes uh okay i think that's it let's get out of here um i don't remember if this is a dan song or not but let's just say thanks to dan anyway i'm pretty sure he was the one who suggested this so i'll give him credit either way it's by a band called micra it's called fuzz captain i hope you like it thanks for stopping by the space cave